We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts and Britt Robson of The Athletic is my guest late Thursday afternoon, not quite 24 hours removed from Cole Anthony throwing an absolute dagger uh, through the morale of the Minnesota Timberwolves roster and fan base. Uh, If it wasn't a pandemic, Britt, you and I would have been sitting next to each other uh, at that game. (laughs) As it unfolded, and I think we would have collectively been dumbfounded. You left me all. You all left me all alone. I was the only person there last night, and so I'm just looking around. We would empty have Target Center. We would have laughed. We would have looked at. Yeah, you're right. That's 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 home. actually true. I can't believe it because you knew you could believe it. You know, I mean, that's the thing. All right. So I guess that's my that's just the place to start. Is like where where are you at on the spectrum of ah. Same old Wolves to, you know, whatever the hell's going on on Wolves Twitter, burn it all down right now. Where, where are you on that gradient? Yeah, I think that I think the reason is the accumulation. Um, I think the last three games have been really uh, destructive for different reasons. Uh, the Memphis game, the Atlanta game, and now this game. Uh, you're playing three bottom tier offenses they're all in the bottom 10 teams they're in the bottom third of the of the nba in offense uh so your defense gets a little bit of a break um and at the very least i would say that memphis played inspired basketball relative to its personnel um but the wolves still had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter but atlanta and orlando played badly they they played uh they would have lost 95% of the time they put in that type of performance in the NBA. And I think that's 
what is uh, got the fan base so disgusted um, is that, I mean, let's face it, it's the Wolves fans. I mean, they understand the history. They understand all the baggage. But they're, they're looking, sometimes they're looking for silver linings. Sometimes they're looking for uh, perspective that is, um, depending on their cynicism, either a little bit more caustic or a little bit more optimistic than reality. But they're looking for ways to ratify their thoughts. Um, and uh, what this has done, the last three games, has really corroded the upside perspective of this team and really lent ammunition to the most dire cynicism. I mean, this is a team right now that doesn't know how to win. Um, and yeah, there are a million caveats. I mean, Cat is out and he is so important to this team. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're losing in different ways. They're losing the way I have the unfortunate distinction of seeing all of the terrible, terrible Wolves teams. Um, you know, I mean, I started covering the team in earnest their second year. I went to like three or four of the games in the Dome their first year. But I started covering the team Musselman's second year. But their first year, they won 29 games. They were a success story to the point where there were already whispers about Musselman being fired because he wanted to win too much. He wasn't playing, he wasn't playing Gerald Glass enough, you know. Uh, you know, they weren't developing people. Um, so, but I mean, I've seen, I saw the Jimmy Rogers, you know, saga. I saw Jimmy Rogers, you know, say something to equivalent of, you know, I know that's a 15 and 47 Sacramento Kings team, but they're a lot better than their record. You know I mean? After they kicked the wolves ass by like 24 points, you know, and then you go through Sid Lowe, Bill Blair, you know, then you have the KG era, you know, but then you go back to, you know, Rambus and, uh, Con Whitman and yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean Whitman. So it, it's a this right now is not the worst it's ever been, but it is the latest deflation. It's the latest. I I think that the the, the person who it has cost the most in the last week or so has been Rosas. Has been the the president of the basketball operations. I think Ryan already was on thin ice with people. I think a lot of people thought that Ryan wasn't qualified for the job. Um, well, he was the ratification thing you're talking about, right? Like it was, you talked about the, the fan base needing to right. ratify their, their, their feelings and not that they're, you know, that they're wrong. They're just like, this is, right. this is bad. This is a mess. What, how can I put attack into what is the mess? And it's, and Ryan has had his foibles and, right yet he is kind of turned into the pincushion at the at the same time as you know as the the thing to that ratifies that this is wrong and and it is weird we've talked about this before it's it's weird because i i would you know lean on a or look at a, a thing that appears to be broken you know infrastructurally and i would look even higher on the ladder than the head coach. That's just kind of where, where my head would go with any team, you know? And, and it's, uh, and I think that's a pretty big hit to take to start to question Gerson Rosas in this 
in this thing because I think that was the one thing that the fans really had to lean back on was you have what is perceived to be an objectively smart, maybe really good front office, right? right. And that, that was this thing that everyone was leaning on. And now some of that, right or wrong, has, has, has been drawn into question. And, and to me, I know you say this isn't the, the worst it's ever been, but I don't have the 30 years of perspective <laughs> on it. And, and so, so to me, in the three years that I've been covering the team, it does feel like the worst. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm sure some of that's prisoner of the moment. But the reason it feels like that is because, I mean, for years now, three years now, I've been you know writing about this team, talking about this team, and always felt like I had in my back pocket the, the logic of they are building something that I believe in. Right. And within within my own head. And I don't think I've totally lost that, but I've come to question it. So as I sit here today, a prisoner of the moment, I I question the grand construct of of not only this roster as it currently stands, but of the organization as a whole. And I think this is this isn't nineteen ninety where like it's new and there's time. I don't know how much time there is for this team to continue to take bullet after bullet after bullet. Right. And um, if I'm just being not like what I feel, what I think, right. that's where me as a person, my head goes in this. Well, I think that you're absolutely right about Rosas being the cherished bastion of, uh, you know, the, the rock upon which faith could uh, tie its mooring, you know, uh, and um, and there's been a you know there's been a steady accretion of of hits to Rosas's uh, vaunted wisdom, you know, in the last almost from you know, uh, I I think you can go down the list, but before I do, what I want to say is. I think Ryan is taking the brunt of this uh, for a couple of reasons. One is he does have the baggage of past Timberwolves ineptitude merely by dint of his last name and his association. Let's face it, a crisp, efficient organization would never have hired him in the first place. They would have said, we need to get somebody else for this, this, and this. Um, the other reason that this that the fan base, I think, is out to get Ryan first and foremost is because he's the easiest impediment to remove. He's the easiest flip of the status quo. And when you're howling in pain as a fan base, when you're seeing – when you're seeing crap that you don't like, all right, what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of Cat and Delo? I mean, you know, here we go. That's a long, you know, that's turning a yacht around. Um, are you going to fire Gris and Rosas, you know, and, and, and do what in the middle of a pandemic when the roster has been, you know, just totally turbulent? The, the, the change that you make that, gets some of the bloodlust for changing the status quo satiated is to get rid of Ryan, put in the associate head coach who was 
two or three GM surveys ago regarded as one of the top two or three assistant coaches in the NBA, um, you know, has a great pedigree, so on and so forth. It's an easy switch. Find out how long, you know, let's say we, you know, they, let's, who knows how many games are left given, you know, COVID and everything and the way things are going. But let's say there's 40 or 50 games left. Give him that kind of run in the interim basis to see if he's worth it. And if he isn't, go get somebody, you know, you want to go get. Um, that is the easiest flip of the status quo. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons. I think the fact that Ryan was regarded as unqualified coming in has done nothing on paper in terms of results to uh, change that opinion is one loss record is abysmal. Um, and the fact that he's the easiest to remove all is creating a lot of momentum to get rid of him right now. Um, I still think, um, I, I think for the sake of Delo and Cat, um, you need to give him the time to work some of the time just to see how he does with that 1A, 1B combination uh, together. Now, will he get that time? Not if Cat is out another three weeks or so. I mean, I will tell you, you know, that th this team is not able to win enough games to save Ryan Saunders' job without Cat back in a couple of weeks. And so... That's uh, just an unknown, right? You know, so so you're so what you're saying is that you would not fire Ryan Saunders tomorrow. One. No. Yeah. And part two is is that that is what you also believe Gerson Rosas will do is not fire Ryan Saunders on the basis of wanting to see a, a, a cat and Delo team not in disarray and actually get a good look at what that is. The thing about general managers is they always scapegoat the coach depending on how insecure or secure they feel at the current time. I think the fact that there is a pandemic on, and so therefore um, the Wolves are hemorrhaging money like the rest of the NBA because of gate receipts and all the screw up with, uh, you know, the Sinclair and the local markets and so on and so forth. There's not a lot to lose. It's already, you know, a pretty boiled down to the bitter dead ender franchise diehards. I mean, that's what's left. What's left are the people who understand this very well. And so, you know, understand cynicism uh, to regard hope as a punch in the mouth, you know. And so uh, I think that there's not a great motivation for Rosas to fire Ryan yet to scapegoat Ryan, because look, there isn't anybody. I can't think of anybody in this organization right now with for a possible exception of Jaden McDaniels that doesn't have a lot of blame for what's going on right now. It's, it's a pretty system wide failure. So uh, yes, the answer is, if Rosas decides to scapegoat Ryan now, it means that he's getting 
impatient. And that also means that um, there will probably be some significant moves in areas other than the coaching staff. Uh, he may be ready to start thinking in terms of, you know, separating his big two, you know, which was always, let's face it. I don't know about that second part. Uh, I think that I, I think those are two different things. Well, put it this way. There isn't, the fans are going to be surly. They have a right to be surly. If you put in Vanderpool and they win about the same amount of games, you've, you've shot a bullet. It, put it this way. You only have a few bullets in your gun if, you, if you're Gerson Rosas. When do you want to True. use them? When do you want to use them? You know, well, he, he wants to use them to buy time. That would be. And right now, what does he lose with the status quo? Yeah, no, it would, it would need to be. And this is why I think the biggest factor is it would. The other factor other than his, his own seat feeling hot would be feeling pressure from his star and or stars players you know, telling him to do so. And I, from everything I can gather, that couldn't be further from, you know, right. the, the feeling, right? Like with with where Kat's at on Ryan, I, I think Kat very much in Kat's head views it as it's pretty much all academic what's going on on the floor because he's right. Like this, a lot of this stuff just doesn't matter if Kat's not out there. Like the... You're not really building anything. <laughs> really, it's uh, okay. So it's turning to, out to just be a lose-lose situation. So listen to what you're saying. You're making my argument for me. If it all comes down to Cat and Cat's not out there and he loses the coach anyway, then he's saying, ah, it's more than that. Even if Cat's back or even I'm just not seeing enough with this team unless he wants to send this grand statement message which is we won't tolerate this anymore. But then again, you lay down that marker, there's got to be consequences. You know, if, if you start to say that. Um, so again, I think they're going to lean on youngest team in the league. They're going to lean on the, I do too. which by the way is, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, I don't think, have Cat and D'Lo played like three NBA regular season games in a row yet? No, they've played five total. One, the Toronto game last year, the first two games of the year, then the one San Antonio game, Cat sits, and then the one Memphis game. So, yes, they've never played three games in a row together. It's <laughs> <laughs> insane. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's insane, and it's like, man, I, I did this whole thing on, you know, I, I just the whole the whole Saunders thing and the, the complexities of, you know, covering a coach on the, the hot seat or all, all this sort of stuff are we like it's just it's just it's just a hard thing because the fan base so clearly has has decided they want him out like that is you, you pull the fan base and it's not I mean, I don't what do you get a 10 percent approval rating right now? I mean, I, I, I don't even know. So it's this complicated thing, but I, I can't like it. <laughs> Even not being a Saunders fanboy, just in in my own head, I can't be like, how are we not acknowledging the elephant in the room of like, yeah, Cat and Deal haven't played together, and it's even been worse than that. I mean, just 
like the win the win percentage argument with Ryan does nothing for me in terms of like his his reason for needing to be let go. There's so much you got it. There's so many other concrete things you know to lean on. I we've covered this team as close as anyone you know over the the course of those three years, and I mean he's had disaster roster after disaster roster after disaster roster, and it's this is maybe right now the group he has is as disastrous as it's ever been. Okay, so why in the world would you get rid of Ryan Saunders and have David Vanterpool prove that? I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, if you're Grayson Rosas, he's saying, because, uh, let, me, let me look at this for a second. The current true shooting percentage of Jarrett Culver right now is, ah. is 48.9. For Anthony Not Edwards, good. it's 43.9. I mean, these are the two first-round picks. And 48.9 and 43.9, and I think they're both in the top six in minutes. Uh, I think Edwards is the top three, if I'm not mistaken. It isn't like he's not playing. He's not starting, true, but he's playing. Um, this, a lot. You know, that's – if David Vanterpool comes in and either one of those guys dramatically improves, well, okay then. Ryan Saunders, you are a bad coach because those are two guys you have to develop, right? Um, true. Yeah, and if they don't improve, uh, okay, maybe David Vanterpool was a bad coach too, or maybe the guy who picks sixth in the draft one year, trading to get him, getting rid of uh, uh, one of the top eight guys in your rotation the previous year, and a lottery pick, um, and a guy you chose number one overall a year later at the expense of two other consensus number one guys who are both outperforming this guy right now. Um, that's some pretty serious business. Not to mention one position on the floor, which is kind of key because it's your fulcrum position. The power forward position under the Rosas template is your fulcrum position. You can do the maximum amount of flexibility with that position. The Wolves have no flexibility at that position because nobody does it well on the roster. Right. I mean, if you think about that, with the possible exception of Okogi, I know you're hanging tough there, and I don't blame you necessarily, <laughs> except, you know, he didn't play all that well at the four in crunch time last night. So, I mean... It's, just, it, yeah, it's a weird thing because... Well, they just, he's also got to be the point of attack defender. Whatever, well, that's neither here nor there. And that's again, it's it's a system thing. We 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 went through this the last time we talked. Uh, <laughs> you know, you want to talk about Rosas? You immediately start to say, yeah, but I mean, come on, somebody's got to develop these guys too, and they're not, you right. know. Or come on, you know, I mean, it isn't like nobody can can make Anthony Edwards finish. I mean, Anthony Edwards, the guy who was bragging about uh, wanting to play football, was suddenly complaining he's not getting calls. I mean, put the ball in the hoop or create enough contact where you go to the line. Yeah, you could pick four or five examples. But, you know, it's a rookies get screwed in this league. He's getting screwed to some extent in this league, but that's not why his true shooting percentage is 43-9. No, it's because he's shooting 27% from three. 
among other things, which is a like, I mean, and, and to the, the people who don't speak true shooting percentage, I mean, that covers get more. field goals and free throws. Yeah, but even just just do the three point percentage, and right. Anthony Edwards is twenty seven point five percent, Ricky Rubio's twenty three point eight percent, Jarrett Culver's twenty two point seven percent, and Josh Okogie's sixteen point seven percent. Right, and those guys, all four of those guys, are regarded in the top nine of your rotation. They're they're all they're four players that Gerson Rosa specifically has put a, his own stake, a fl- planted his yeah. own flag on. Yeah. I, I would no, I would say all four of them. Anthony Edwards, of course, that's who he selected with right. the number one overall pick. And Culver. Ricky Rubio. Yeah. Ricky Rubio, he went yeah. out and, and actively I mean he right. took right. a bet on no, him by, by going to get him. Right. Jarrett Culver is his other first round pick, sixth overall, who he who he traded yeah, up for. Kogi is the one I would say. No, no, I think a Kogi is too. He's the only other guy who who survived the massacre last See, year. But I would say that's wise. I would say Okogie, I, I'm not saying that. Oh, I would say he was wise. I'm just saying. He see, but did I'm not that. saying like, the other. Right now, the other three are not wise. Right now, the other three are bad, bad decisions. Okay. I, I, yeah. I would not. Agreed. I would not say Okogi is a bad decision abjectly. Now, on the other hand, did you like it when Orlando rolled out the red carpet by the three point line for Okogi every single time in the half court? I mean, when Okogi yep. caught it and shot it in rhythm, the way you're supposed to, the way you do it in practice. We, it's the worst you, shot has looked his whole career. Did you feel right good about that? I mean, no. Nope. Okay. I mean, so there you go. So what you have to do, maybe let's not put Josh Okogi out on the three point line. You know, maybe as Ryan, Maybe play him as a power forward. And as, and as Ryan had said to us, you know, let him dive. Let him let him be the guy who cuts to the basket, you know, and let that be everything for the power forward. Um, you know, if you're not going to get anything out of your power forwards, then get a guy, get a lunch bucket guy like Rondy Hollis Jefferson or play Ed Davis at the four next to Nas or something. But do something. You say you want to play a system. You say you want mm-hmm. to play either five out or you want to play small ball with a rapid pace. Um, but your personnel is not executing your system. Again, Let, I mean, who is, call, who, who is that? You want to put that on Ryan? Sure. You, I could make a good case for that. You want to put that on Rosas? I can make a, an equally good case for that. You want to put it on the players? I can, I can make a decent case for putting it on the players. Here's the through line through all three of those things. Okay. Is there is this ethos that goes through all three layers of that, the, the front office, the coaching staff, and the players, that they are empowered to believe that they are more than they are. Mm-hmm. Remember when we were sitting around with Ryan Saunders that one time, we were talking about Josh Shakogi shooting threes? He's like, right. let it rip. We don't have him, have him get his reps, right? That's you know, always and, been told. That's always been told his entire It's career. always been told. They've, they've all been told to be, to go, go be, swing for the fences. Be all you, what is the, the Marines be commercial? Be, right, right. be all you can be, you know? And sometimes you just need to be, why is it solid enough and that, you know, like what, why, why, why are our players being asked to be something, be a, a square peg when the hole is round. They don't fit. 
you know, and and it's this whole idea of of shaping something, which is maybe a smart style of play. It might someday be the best way to play around Carl Anthony Towns, but it's just it's just so played out at this stage. You're really on think- something here. What you, what you said about um, encouraging people to be more than themselves is is a very very perceptive, and I don't think commented on enough. I didn't think of it as often enough as, uh, I mean, it, it's been a fleeting thought, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be something that becomes endemic as part of the criticism of this organization is they are not putting people in a position to get the best out of themselves because they are not discriminating enough in terms mm-hmm. of what they're expecting. Remember the way Ryan Trot treated Gorgie Jeng? Whenever Gorgie would wind up for a mid-range or a, even a three-point shot, he'd almost put mm-hmm. him on the bench, you know? Yeah. I mean, there was no tolerance. Um, you know, and now it's like uh, he said in the press conference today, you know, if Jared Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt goes to the line yeah. for two more shots, I have all the faith in the world he's going to make them. Oh, that's interesting because Jared Vanderbilt doesn't. <laughs> Jared Vanderbilt does not think he's going to hit two free throws when he goes to the line with a game yeah. on the line. He's hoping for one, and he probably mm-hmm. won't get any. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Know your personnel. I mean, Jesus Christ, if you're the coach, know your personnel. And in this particular case, Jared Vanderbilt going to the line is not a great idea. And well, Nas Reed uh, directing traffic on defense, he will always put up some neon plays that are good. And he is not a bad development risk. No, he's a really good example of this too, where it was like the backup center position was Nas Reed's this right. year for sure. Like that, that was, which surprised me coming into the year. I was like, right. you know, Nas, I, you know me, I think I, I like Nas, right. but I like Nas as like a third center. Like, let's see where it, where it goes sort of thing. But no, they enter the season. Nas Reed is the backup center, like with a bullet and, and I think that's the same thing. It's this, it's this belief that he can be and, and disregarding the fact that he might not. And I think the same thing happens in other elements of the, the whole big picture strategy. I think, I think the rotations are built in a way that if everyone is playing at the best of their ability, then it will work. It will work to play two ball handlers together at the same time if D'Lo and Rubio are synergizing or if McLaughlin and D'Lo are, are synergizing. It will work to play Jarrett Culver at at the power forward position if he's confident next to those sort of people. Well, odds are, like, analytics, we have, we have the track record here where it's not working. Right. It's it's not working. Not only and- that, but it could be it it could be predicted very easily that it wouldn't work. See, that's the thing. Um, I haven't seen a ton of D'Lo. I mean, when I saw him in in uh, Brooklyn, I saw him in the Lakers, and it was a whole different deal. He was almost like a different player. He was a, a kind of a weird, frisky but underperforming rookie and second year guy. Uh, when he got to Brooklyn, I really liked the kind of system he was built into. Um, 
you know, he's right there with Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and all those dudes just whipping the ball around and chucking it up. And, you know, I mean, it was. And, and he was told and, and they decided off of that, that he could be James Harden. Yeah. That, right. And that he should go for that. Yeah. Right. Is, is that a good idea? I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that will they'll play out and, and, and be that way. But no, it's not maybe a good the idea. idea. No, I, I don't. I, no, I, maybe I, but, it's just but, the structure should be have him be the third best player. You should be setting him up to be that sort of thing. Exactly. And not to be discount James okay. Harden, which he's being yeah. asked to be. And he's doing even, a good job. But even more than that, have him do what he does best. Even if it is a poor man's James Harden, don't put him off the ball. Most of the time. And this is nothing against J-Mac, who had a wonderful fourth quarter in there. Um, yeah. You know, got overwhelmed on defense a couple of times and is. Um, but that but the and one was yeah, well, huge. Was, and then the very just, next play, the drop off to Nas. That, was, a, and roll dunk. that was just music. I mean, you know, and so. I thought he won the game with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what did it do to deal? You know, and, and if Ryan Saunders was being honest, he'd probably look at us and go. Well, what did D'Lo do without J-Mac in the third quarter? I mean, you know, where they put a guy on him, they trapped him, and boom, that was the end of D'Lo, you know? And so yeah. D'Lo was two for eight in the second half. He didn't Yeah, but he, was, but he was five for nine in the first half. Exactly. And he, I mean, let's flash back to happier times. I mean, that second quarter, yeah. those three trays in a row, flipped the game from the second quarter to the close to the end of the fourth quarter, flipped the whole game because all the guys who don't play with confidence, Edwards and Culver chief among them, they were on the court at that time and they were getting a lot of touches and all of a sudden, Hey, we're rolling when Edwards and Culver are rolling. It's wonderful to watch. If they hit some, be all all you can be, if they had some adversity, you know, all of a sudden, you know, not great. And so D'Lo um, needs to be the pick and roll guy. He needs to play with Ed Davis a lot. He needs to play with Ed Davis two thirds of his minutes when Cat is out at a mm-hmm. minimum and, and let um, J Mac and Nas Reed, who also have their shit. Good together, synergy. Yeah. You know, I, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna play J Mac, and believe me, I'm not against it because J Mac will always, J Mac will always give you a level of performance. He may not have it some nights, but you know what he's going to be trying to do and what he can give you. A lot of the nights, he's not going to be a sine wave like you know, um, and, and so it just feels like don't try to play D'Lo off the ball. I don't care if it was a big part of your strategy coming into the season. Ricky Rubio hasn't scored a point in the, in the, I don't know if he's, I don't think he scored a point in the fourth quarter in January. Think about that. You know, I mean, they played what, uh, what are they now? Three and 10. They were two and two. So they were, they're one and eight. So they played nine games. Now Rubio hasn't made two of them now. Let's say they've only played six. Zero points for Rubio in the fourth quarter. And, you know, this was the closing lineup, you know? Right. So well, it was the idea was, yeah, to, to be closing games okay. with D'Lo and, and Rubio. And by the way, 
when you don't have a power forward and you play two point guards in the backcourt and neither one of them are Malik Beasley, maybe Malik Beasley is your, your de facto small forward now, guess what? You're 30th in the NBA in opposing opponent re- rebound percentage, offensive rebounds. They get, they extend possessions. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how many more shots Orlando got than the Wolves last night, but it was a, it was over 10, you know. Right. And, um, they extended possessions, you know. They, they, they own the offensive glass in the fourth quarter, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that J-Mac is 5'11", and D'Lo doesn't rebound that much. Uh, and he certainly doesn't rebound if he's waiting to get a catch and shoot someplace. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it's just, you know, it's a shit show. I mean, we're just basically, you know, working around, uh, you know, we, we have our little scalpels out and we're separating, you know, what did this, what did this, what was eaten to create this shit, you know? I mean, essentially is what, what's happening here, you know? Uh, but at the let's, end of, uh... Okay. Let's uh, let's let's get into the the specific details of that fourth quarter because I just want to okay. bounce some of those things off of you. But let's take a quick ad break first. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Yeah. We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know. Uh, great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting, and with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on. You can take advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off 
and start betting smarter today. Let, let's go through some of the specific decision-making things with obviously the benefit of hindsight right. here. Um, I, I, I think I think there's three major qualms to have with with kind of how the how the game ended last night. One from a tactical standpoint, sure. one would be the rotations, what we which we just kind of hit on there right. with going as small as you did. I, you know, in in ways it was justified because. Sadly, Jordan McLaughlin's one of their five best players, um, but it costs it causes you to go, you know, super small. Like there, there's there's issues there. I thought there was issues bringing in D'Angelo Russell a little bit too late, but then then let, I think let, there's. Let me add my thing here. Yeah, go ahead. Because a lot of people are saying, "Why in the world didn't you keep playing Jade McDaniel's?" And I'm saying to myself, "Look, that guy." I tweeted out that, you know, he owed a higher power his soul after that game. I mean, you know, it he made some kind of deal with the higher power to play that way. Right. And maybe, you know, I mean, I was saying these kinds of things about Jared Vanderbilt two weeks ago. Maybe I just don't have a clue as to how kids are coming up and all of a sudden playing much better than I would have imagined. But I don't think you want a guy with less than 60 NBA minutes closing out your game when you're trying to break a losing streak and you have an opponent that isn't a very good opponent, solid should be enough. Now, well, people, we, we did also just see this happen where Ryan tried closing a game with a rookie yeah. and they lost because the rookie didn't know how to execute right. an end-of-game situation right. with Anthony Edwards right. in the San Antonio game. Right. So to me, that's totally justified, not to mention the fact that McDaniels played like the first nine minutes of that quarter, you know, it's, you're yeah, probably not going to just, <laughs> but yeah, right. No, for sure. No, I, mean, I know, I know. Uh, but it, it's yeah. I, I just don't. There, there were. I, I think what it ultimately comes down to, if we're going to say you're not going to close with the rookies, which right. that's my opinion, that isn't even really in the conversation. Then it becomes the question of, are you going to close with the starters, or are you going to close with Jordan McLaughlin in place of Jared Vanderbilt? Mm. And Ryan ultimately went with McLaughlin over Vanderbilt. And then it was, which is a weird switch out to make, but positionless basketball. Um, and and so you know, so that's what they close with. And I think I think you can have size qualms about that, uh, which you were just kind of getting into. But then at the same time, it's like watch how it played out. Like Jordan McLaughlin probably had the best, was the best player in the closing lineup of, right. of the game, right? Right. right? So it's I I attribute that more to not having enough available you know, right. to, to make a good tr coaching decision. I think, I think where the coaching breakdowns happen are there, there's specifics with the timeouts and stuff, which we can get to the minutia of that. But there's also this, just the general malaise of the way the second half of the fourth quarter was, was, you know, transpiring where there wasn't, you know, there wasn't the execution. There's the, your team hasn't scored in a while, so here comes D'Angelo Russell on the move, coming off of his screen, going to his right, taking a 16-foot mid-range jump shot. You know, you you, you just kind of keep running into this wall of like, oh, this is this is bad. And then on defense, whatever inspired energy you you had in the first half is just clearly gone. Guys aren't aren't switching. They're not talk like they're not they're not talking. There's some really like gross breakdowns of like. 
how how was there used to be a guy on Evan Fournier and now he's wide open for a layup right. without the ball. Like just so much stuff like that that is yes, that's on the players. They're the ones not executing it. But there's an element of coaching that goes into that there too, where you can be using your timeouts, you can be doing things to change the vibe of a game that is the rope when the rope is slipping away in that sort of way. And it, it goes back to, I think, the idealistic ideology of Ryan Saunders, which is I need to save I need to save my timeouts for the end of the game. I need to save my timeout for a challenge. I need to do all those sort of things, which is like, yeah, if you had a good team and we knew you were going to even get to closing time, then, then sure, I, I like that ideology. But with this group of underclassmen, I just think you need to approach that with more of a steady hand or more of a stern hand of like, we need to, to correct a run. I mean, they're just the, the pr- amount of 8-0 runs, 10-0 runs, 12-0 runs, 14-2, stuff like that. Part of that seems correctable to me, and it's hard to put specifics on it, but... I can give you one specific. Go for it. I think this team is horrible at flipping from an offensive to a defensive mindset in transition and vice versa. Totally. I mean, they are the idea. I mean, the other team is almost already already over the half court line before the wolves are thinking about how they're going to match up and defend on the fly. I mean, you have to first hustle back and second, know what you're going to do when you hustle back. Now, there are some people, Jared Vanderbilt always hustles back. He doesn't know what he's going to do a lot of the time when he hustles back, which can create a really uh, wonderfully slapstick uh, defensive rotation, which I actually kind of get a tragicomic kick out of, but it still is not great basketball. You know, I mean, Vanderbilt goes to guard somebody and then somebody else is looking, you know, maybe it's Anthony Edwards going, okay, well, I better guard this guy. And then, but, but, but this is, this is a whole nother one of those things where it's, and Ryan has talked about it, where it's just match up with someone in transition. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and again, that sounds, but there's always one or sound- two guys that are not back yet. That's where if you're matching up in transition, I mean, as weird as it is, Beasley always hustles, but he's also sometimes guilty of not coming back in transition. I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of a weird combination of things. He'll eventually get back into the play, but it won't be. There's a difference between um, when another team is on the fast break and they're moving down the court, confronting yeah. two guys that are back and are facing you, maybe two guys who are closing fast, and then one guy who's at a full sprint but is still 10 yards ahead of behind the play. That is what happens with the Wolves a lot is that they'll get a couple of guys back. Good teams get three or four guys back, you know, um, and, See, and they're facing the play. And then on the other end, when you make a good defensive play, hey, if Delo's going down the court, it's like, at least three of his teammates figure Delo's going to pull up for that three. Let's see if he makes it, but you know, let's watch from here. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> like the transition commitment is, um, is, you know, and that is on coaching and um, 
I remember Cat saying after the first game on defense, uh, you know, he said that Vanterpool got everybody together and said, you know, this is, are you going to grow up now? Are you going to play defense? Uh, and they won that right. game in crunch time. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Cat, you know, made the f- first shout out of the season to Vanterpool. But, um, <laughs> you know, at the same time, uh, we need as viewers to know that um, there are consequences to people not executing properly. And Ryan can have faith in them all day long, but um, if the faith is not rewarded, then Ryan needs to bark. And every now and then he does. But the, these things are these things are both players and coach. We can go through right, we can right, go through right. thing by thing. But the the reason it's not just on the players this transition de- transition defense breakdown specifically is that it is allowed to just transition back and match up with someone. Right. Just just Culver, go get the, that wing is open over there. Just just go pick him up. Well, how about this? Jerk Culver is actually your power forward right now. So if Jerk Culver is swinging over to go pick up that wing, and that wing happens to be, you know, the point guard that Jordan McLaughlin has been being hit on, or D'Angelo Russell is being hit on, well then the guy that D'Angelo Russell ends up getting transitioned on to is six foot ten and weighs two hundred and fifty pounds, and it's a breakdown. So the combination of not being just bad at getting back on defense, but a but the idea that you'll be good at it if you just get back, that isn't enough. It's not going to work if they just pick because of the roster they have because they're playing a tiny, tiny, tiny team. You can't just pick that up. That they, they they break that down all the time, and teams go, if they're not just going out and getting a fast break layup, they go, well, all right, they transition back, but Jordan McLaughlin's on Jonas Valanciunas. Right. That's still two points. Right. You know, and, and, and that – Again, it's just it's just having these and, bigger and, eyes, and yeah. and and that is where Ed Davis, and not even necessarily at the expense of Nas. I would be curious to see Nas and Ed Davis. I think Ed Davis can play the four in this scheme as long as he's, as long as he's not asked to shoot. Just have Nas be the four. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing exactly. we've been asking exactly. Nas about, or Ryan about forever. And he's like, yeah, we could maybe see Nas play next to Cat. <laughs> you know, and, and asking about it when Cat was out. And he's like, yeah, Nas maybe next to, next to, it's, it's never happened. No, and I mean, like, why not? Right, right. Why Certainly not? You're now. playing. Yeah, it's. And I think it has to do with the fact that they still, they're jealous of their system, you know? And. No, it's because they think that two years from now, Nas Reed is only going to play center. So why would we have him play a different position? That's 95% of it. Well, then I think that's a real problem because they're not going to be around in two years. (laughs) I mean, you know, if that's the way And some of those things are starting to happen. Ryan Ryan is at least, and we we can't know if Gerson's relenting on some of the, you know, systematic ideas because we don't get to see him coach or make transactions on a day-to-day basis. But Ryan is progressively moving away from a dogmatic approach to the the system, and one key example of that is Jared right. Vanderbilt and being the starter say, right, power forward. Exactly right, and He's, center every now and then. I mean, well, mm-hmm. center on defense. Well, center would be no. Yeah, center would be normal. Right. Center would be normal. Well, that center be... on defense, though. Yeah, I mean, even with Nas, I mean, Nas is such a weird player because uh, it's he played really well last night. Yeah, I 
think so. I mean, all things considered, he certainly he got torched in his first rotation, but then after that, um, yeah, you know, he he certainly. Uh, so did Ed Davis. I mean, all, all it was crazy. I mean, so many yeah. of those the randoms were right. pretty awesome yesterday. Yeah, right. Although Ed Davis, Ed Davis in the last three games has been the guy that oh. I thought. You know, you said he was washed in preseason. That was wrong. Yeah, but I mean, like the first three games, I was saying, oh, you know, Dane knew something that I didn't <laughs> know. You know, because he looked awful, and I, I was ready. You know, if somebody had said, "All right." You, you, you're going to keep Rondy Hollis Jefferson. Who are you going to get rid of then, smarty pants? I would have said, well, Ed Davis then, you know? Yeah, right. And Ed Davis is, uh, first of all, this team, I mean, here, here comes another rant. I know we're kind of rambling a little bit, but I don't care. there is no screen. The only guy on the whole goddamn team who knows how to set a screen properly is Ed Davis who right. learned it, I'm sure, in some other organization four <laughs> or five organizations ago, you know? I mean, you tell me the one guy who has been, like, developed by the Timberwolves that knows how to set a screen. I don't know of anybody on the roster. The the, the funniest one, so they're starting to, like, well, particularly when Dilo's off ball, starting to, like, run some of those, like, Spainy actions, right, right. where Dilo is setting – is setting the back screen right, on right. on the big and then like flares out kind of it's like kind of inverted right, pin right, down sort right, of thing right and it couldn't be more like Dilo's just touch well, the I mean, big's hip like it's, it's it could be further from a screen and it's like this action does nothing like the whole point is you're supposed to be setting a screen so the big could cut back door if you just like pet the guy, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I honestly, isn't the biggest screener problem, but it's the most egregious. Well, I honestly think that there's a part of him that says, if I suck at screening, then I'm going to get back to being the, <laughs> the ball handler rather than the role man here. Right. You know? Right. Um, right. Um, you know, and we do have to talk about D'Lo, too, as a $30 million man here. Um, oh, man. I, I thought D'Lo was pretty awesome last night he was the difference in the first half and the difference in the second half i mean and, and like but he I'm was not trying to make it, isn't that what like you expect half. for him yeah no i know but like no I, what do you expect i expect that when the game is he, he's not he doesn't even have to grab the game by the throat he just has to put his finger on the chest of the opponent and not have him draw any closer which means hitting a damn shot. He wasn't getting to play. They weren't putting him in the game. He, he was, only played 32 minutes, and he didn't. He sat out for the whole middle of the fourth quarter when it was put your throat, your foot on their throat time. I mean, I think a lot of it was he started not playing as well, but I think a lot of it was he was like they're doing the yank him around to fit in the rotations thing, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I don't know. I think you just had to play him like a lot. In the, in the second half, so you won that game. Well, how many minutes did he get in the second half? Uh, uh, actually, Probably like I think 15, I right? 16? Probably about the same amount as he got in the first yeah. half. Okay, mm -hmm. so... So that's 32. But there's no impact from those minutes. Because they started doubling the screens. They started taking them away. That's still valuable. And what does your point guard do with that? I mean, why all of a sudden did this team not be able to do anything once you were doubling D'Lo? 
because the way to take that away is was is to attack a pick and roll four on three, and you need to have a big who can set a screen, catch the ball on the roll, and spray the ball to the corner. And I mean, Jared Vanderbilt sprayed the fuck out of the ball to the corner when he threw it into the second deck. I mean, Did they you don't say like that play where Okogie caught that pass. Yeah, that, that was a nice catch. Oh yeah, my right. god, that was a great catch. But you're right, he's a Vanderbilt is an unreliable passer, but Ed Davis. But he's that's what you have to do right there. He's the four. I mean, this okay. is the flaw right. in the ointment of him at the four. That's the that's the move. But you, all right. Now, I mean, I I am blaming Delo still because it isn't all pick and roll. He he, for a guy who loves to jack up shots with defenders coming at him. You would think a 4-3 trap would be music to his ears. I mean, at the very least, somebody else could go get the rebound on one of his arching shots. But above (laughs) and beyond that, above and beyond that, um, Ed Davis picked up his fifth foul with like, you know, I don't know, it was four minutes to go or something like that. And I thought, Ryan should just ride it until the sixth foul. He's not going to play anyway. And he did. And I no, he didn't play Ed Davis for a while there. He was playing oh. Nas down the stretch. Well, no, but he, but he did he did play Nas down the stretch, but he left Ed Davison after the fifth foul. Yeah, for, a, for a very short time. And what I'm oh. saying is, okay, I don't know how long it was. I know I wrote that down. I yeah, really, anyways. I really felt like Ed Davis needed to be in there while that lead was going down the drain. That was a good question you asked Ryan about post game because. Well, it was, it was not post-game, it was... Oh, not post-game, t- today. just now, right. a couple hours yeah. ago, yeah. I mean, not being... Let me just say this too quick. Um, I mean, you've complained about the Zoom thing, and I totally get it. Let me tell you, as somebody who thought it was my God-given right to ask one of the first three questions whenever I was there, and if anybody you know got my way to do that, uh, it was only because I didn't want it to happen. Now, if I'm not at the game, it's a big damn difference. I mean, watching from home and then sitting in my rocking chair, literally in my rocking chair, you know, while all these people with their masks on are at the game. And I am just, I've been there. I've been in that environment. It just feels presumptuous as hell for me to be breaking in with questions, you know, when I know the time is precious. And I know, you know, we don't have the same thing where they have like a cutoff limit of how many people get to ask the questions. So that's my own little, the reason I don't jump in on some of these post games, especially on home games where you guys are there. And I'm a little more aggressive post game on the road, provided it's not on the West coast um, is because it's, I'm not as engaged in the actual fundamentals. I'm engaged. You're, you're doing stop. You're doing you're doing everyone a disservice by doing that. You're doing everyone a disservice by doing that because you're doing the fan base a disservice because you will ask, you would have asked a question post game about what the hell happened down the stretch. And there was, there was three, four, five questions to be asked to Ryan about why he didn't use his timeouts, why he went with two ball handlers down the stretch there, why he left Vanderbilt in on the floor, what the fuck Malik Beasley was doing on the play before Cole Anthony got the ball, those questions all got, needed to be asked, or at least hopefully two of them. Right. Well, and, the two questions and, I would have asked and they were did the it. ones I asked this afternoon. And they didn't get asked. I'm just saying, right. like this right. is a this is this is a problem. You're actually you're actually 
it's doing Ryan Saunders a disservice too, because if Ryan would have he answered your questions today about why he didn't call a timeout, right? Which was he said he wanted Vanderbilt to pass the ball to Nas, who was streaking up the floor. Well, what happened? You didn't ask that question, and so all day for the past twenty four hours, everybody, at least in the circles that I can have a feel right. on, are like, why the hell didn't Ryan Saunders call a timeout? And nobody asked him about that. A million people Actually, DM'd know, me. And he, that was, that needed to, he needed to answer that, and the question needed to be asked. Okay, but that and, was, it, and it wasn't asked. That was Doogie's question. It wasn't mine. Let's give credit where credit is due. Doogie was the one that asked that today. The two questions I asked. Well, though, the t- he asked the timeout one, but okay, yeah. you yeah. 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 The two questions I asked were, why do you continue to take D'Lo off the ball in the fourth quarter, which is not what he likes. He likes to be on the ball. That's what he likes. Question wasn't asked. Actually, no, no, John, John, John did ask about that last night. No, no, no. But John asked about that last night. John asked about that last night. <laughs> yeah, I am useless. All right. Now, and the other one was, um, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, why I, I, I should say this to the leaders, let me, to the, right. to the listeners okay. is because a lot of people, it's all this noise of why aren't they asking these questions and why aren't we getting answers and stuff like this? And, and it's, it is important to just say that this is, we get now post game, like four minutes yeah, on the zoom on a zoom weird, where right. you have to pass around or even if it's seven minutes you have to pass a baton around right. and a couple questions are are asked which is completely different than what the setup would have been at target center last year where we're sitting directly in front of ryan 10 12 minutes go by and questions are like bam 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 and, and they're all getting asked and you get to look the guy in the eye i mean that's yeah. if i'm gonna rip somebody via a question it's really, really helps if I'm just right in front of him, asking him a mm-hmm. question. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, here I am at home in my rocking chair. I just feel like a money morning quarterback so much, you know. And yep. and so it's one of those things where it's it makes such a difference to be in the room with somebody when you're doing that stuff. So well, I'll, ta- I, I'll ta- I'm just you, saying I understand what you're saying, and maybe I'll try to be a little bit. More I think aggressive. it. I think it will be universally beneficial right. well, to, to the just, media. I just to the fans and and to the organization for all right well I'll try try to be a little bit more aggressive on that but I didn't ask the timeout question because um I actually to be honest with you I assume somebody else would ask that question uh one of the first people would I mean it was obvious that's what my question was going to be but Doogie asked it before me because I'm 47th in line for questions (laughs) but the, the idea of um Yes. I mean, that, that the biggest question was uh, you had two timeouts. You could draw up a play. You know, you could you could do all the things you need to do um, to do that. And you decided not to. And if you had one timeout, maybe I could see because there's still a little bit of time left there, you know, but two. we're talking. Timeouts. OK, well, let's set this up. Let's set this up. OK, we're talking about. Off of the Gordon missed three that Vanderbilt gets the rebound. That's where you're talking yes, about the timeout, right? right? Yes. Because the, the, there's he had two, two times. timeouts. He had mm-hmm. two timeouts, though. The, the first one, he should have had a timeout, I think. And and what his response was is the reason he didn't call it was because he, he wanted Vanderbilt to pass ahead. the ball to Nas, who was open ahead. Sure, I still think he for sure should have called a timeout there. Well, and also. And got caught up in a split think second. think about this for a second. You know, we just got through saying, you know, participation trophies or whatever you want to call it. This whole idea of be your best self. Jared Vanderbilt, Mr. Assist. I mean, you know, are you kidding me? Jared Vanderbilt is no. is at best 
in the middle of the pack when it comes to passing the ball, and I would say probably more toward the bottom of the pack. Nas Reed on the run, yeah, I mean, he's 6'9", 264, and very agile in that sense. But he's going to be, you know, gliding down the court. I mean, the whole thing was fraught for a turnover if your idea, if your plan is for your guy who has less than 200 NBA minutes to throw it to a guy who two years ago wasn't even drafted, and that's how you're going to win the game. Um, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I think you call timeout and and you get the ball to uh, D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley yeah. and figure but, but something the, out. The risk there is, I think it should have definitely should have been a timeout, but the risk is that now you call the timeout and you have to inbound the ball again. Right, right. And and there you run the risk of straight up just throwing a turnover or a five second call. Okay, but here's what I, I let me jump in real quick. Mm-hmm. That has not been a problem for this team this year. Inbounds have been actually really good for this team. But and this is what my question was uh-huh. today. That is why they lost the Oklahoma City game, the Jersey Among Tuck many, game many last reasons, year. Right, right. That but that one I, I I tweeted out a video of it today. It was the exact same situation where the Wolves were were up by two. Oklahoma City missed the shot. Cat gets the rebound, hands it to Teague. Saunders calls a timeout. And what it ended up happening was by calling the timeout, he incurred the risk, which was inbounding the ball again okay. to get fouled and go shoot the free throws. Right. What happened was a Kogi in that Oklahoma City game inbounded the ball towards Shabazz Napier. It went right between Shabazz Napier's hands. Lou Dort jumped on the ball. Oklahoma City timeout. The next bucket scored is that Steven Adams bomb to right. Dennis Schroeder. Right. Ma- makes the bucket. The, the Thunder win. And the Wolves win nine games for the entire rest of the season coming into that game <laughs> with 10. Okay, no, okay. no, 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 facts. I get it. All that sounds great. My counter on that is Oklahoma City versus Orlando. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that justifies it. No, I know. I'm saying I'm saying that was right. I think, and Ryan said no today. Uh-huh. I think because I think Ryan had PTSD right. from that thing that happened in the Oklahoma City game, and that's why he didn't call okay, but a timeout in this situation. What I would argue then is that's not a good idea because the, I agree. The, the caliber of the opponent is different. Home versus road. Now, obviously, with a pandemic, it's different. But uh, Oklahoma City, I was in that arena, as it turned out, a rare road game I was at. But, I mean, it, it was a rabbit arena. Chris Paul was – causing all kinds of havoc. And uh, Lou Dort, by the way, was uh, very disruptive, as is his one. Um, but it's coming out party. But what the Wolves, one of the few things the Wolves have done well this year, they haven't had problems inbounding. Because um, Ricky inbounds the ball. Well, I mean, even though, but I can't think of the last two games where they had troubles either with Ricky out. So, I mean, uh, you don't think you get an award, like an award for not having inbound problems for two games. No, but what I'm saying is it's not, shouldn't be a factor. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be why you let Jared Vanderbilt supposedly zip the ball up to Nas Reed and have it be something. I, I just don't think that's what he thought. I, I think, I think, I think that was a, I think that's actually a hard thing to do as a coach, even for a good coach, is there is 1.4 seconds went off the clock. That was the time that Saunders had to call the timeout. Exactly. And 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 the best uh, the best possible thing would have been to immediately call it before Vanderbilt even took one dribble. The second best thing to do would have been, all right, now you've seen him take one dribble. He's going crazy Vanderbilt with it. 
call a timeout. He took a he took a second dribble, still didn't call a timeout, foul. Right. There was time to call there was time to call that there because and I mean Because look what happened. We are being tough on him, but rightfully tough. We're being appropriately rigorous. You had to have known what will you do if you get the ball in that circumstance, regardless of who has the ball, you know? Mm-hmm. And what well, I would automatically call a timeout, regard, even if Delo had the ball, you know? Right. Because get yourself grouped, bring it to the front court, you know? Have your, you know, your stuff ready, you know? So so this, I, this one I think is more interesting because there's the another one, opportunity. Yeah. There's another opportunity to call a timeout, and it's after Vanderbilt missed the free throw. Right. And and it was weird, man. Again, like you couldn't see this on TV because the TV no, cameras I, are but focusing. But I did read your Twitter feed about this. Yeah, and it was it was weird. What what happened is before Vanderbilt shoots the first free throw, Malik Beasley sprints over to him, pats him on the chest, and then he just starts he starts lingering back to half court. Vanderbilt misses the first free throw, and Malik just keeps wandering back all the way to he's on the baseline. He's playing free safety. He's not. He's not playing anything. No, he's but just he's thinking sitting, he's, he doesn't know what he's, he's doing. He's preventing he a basketball, a baseball, a football pass or something. I don't think that's what he was thinking. Think he was I think just he was just. I think he out. was just watching. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do because because then what happened was there's a sub. Culver comes in for Nas, and I think somebody came in for Orlando. So there's a little bit of this delay time between the first and second free throw. And in that time, he Ryan notices that Malik is way back there, and there's time for him to say. He starts yelling at Malik, "Come up! You got to get on Cole Anthony. Get up on Cole Anthony." And and Malik starts doing this weird, nonchalant like, "Oh yeah, 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 I know that." Like, and he just starts like lollygag jogging. And it was, I think, it was that he felt he knew what he was doing. Just being back under the hoop was he was spacing out. And as the leader, as the guy, didn't want to be doing that. And and then he so he's just slowly jogging back. And Vanterpool sees this and he sprints up off the thing too. And he starts yelling at Malik to get on Cole Anthony. And and at that point, it's too late. At the, and this is Malik Beasley, the guy who sprints around his right, right. everywhere. Right. And 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 so by that point, by the time Vanterpool's up screaming too with Ryan, <laughs> now Jared Vanderbilt's in is about to take his shot. The second free throw, Malik's not back. Ball caroms off, tips right to Cole Anthony, where if Malik would have been there boxing out like a normal situation, he if he doesn't just secure the ball, he tips it. And if he doesn't tip it, he's still right there with Cole he Anthony. And instead, Cole Anthony on his way down the court. Right. Exactly. And instead, now we have this weird momentum thing because he's sprinting last second now right. to get up to Cole Anthony. And Cole Anthony's grabbing the ball and moving in the other direction. I mean, I think a lot of people that I saw just like chime back at me on Twitter, like, what are you talking about? Malik was on him the whole time. It was like, no, you you, you missed the first half of the thing where he, he wasn't sprinting up. Right. It, it was right. just, it was just, it was just weird. And I asked Ryan about it too post game. And, and he, without completely tossing him under the bus, acknowledge that that was right. a massive mistake right. on, on Malik's yeah. part. So, but that's the question. Sorry, I'm just rambling about no, this. No, no, no. I don't Do think, you... I think it's uh, two things about that. One, the player shouldn't have done it. Two, mm-hmm. it should have been caught earlier, and they had another timeout. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that's what's an interesting one, though. 
do you call the timeout there when you realize, one, Malik's under the hoop, or two, the next split second, when you realize Malik's doing something weird and just slowly, essentially crawling up the floor? That, that's a weird spot because if he calls a timeout there and we don't actually know how this actually played out and this is a whole new reality. And you freeze Vanderbilt. Exactly, right? It's kind of uh, weird. Yeah, right, and if Vanderbilt right. then misses the second one, now we're all talking it's about Ryan, Ryan Ice the kicker. his own player, right, right, right. Exactly, right. you know? But, but it's – I don't know. I still think I, – I thought about it a lot today, and I still think it's the move to call the timeout because – and I uh, revisionist history, I get all that. But I think at the end of the day, what you need to be most concerned about here is defending Orlando's – attack because there's 4.6 seconds left on the clock Orlando has no timeouts and you can defend that make or miss afterwards if you're set up in the right way and so you just call the timeout if you're Ryan and you say make or miss this is how we're all matched up we're all boxing out like you know say that thing like the eighth grade basketball coach not to call Ryan an eighth grade basketball coach, but to right, say right. they clearly needed to hear that, right. you know, and I think. Plus they had blown I, the defensive possession the previous play. I think that? you just got to set your guys up. You just, you, you guys, your team's too inexperienced. But do you remember and, that play, the play before where. Um, oh yeah. The Spain pick and roll. Fournier and yeah. dish it over to Aaron Gordon. I mean, both of them what? had shots. Fournier is, is a, killer he should have sunk the three but even as it was well Gordon was wide open well it's because it's because we have two guys who have a combined 300 minutes right in the NBA and Nas I mean it's it's a Spain pick and roll that's tough to guard it's literally meant to confuse the two bigs there you know where where you know Vucevic sets the screen on Fournier and then Gordon sets a screen on Vucevic's man so Vucevic you know can kind of back cut to the basket and then Gordon pops off of that. It's a, it's an awesome basketball action. And you know, if you're 20 years old, like Nazareed and 21 years old, like Jared Vanderbilt, you just got to be extremely communicative there. And as it played out, both of the 21 year olds were on the block guarding Vucevic and Aaron Gordon was, was wide open. So I don't know if you could set your defense up there. I would put that, more on the you don't know I, that they're going to run a Spain pick and roll. What I am saying is, I would rather that you could say they dodged a bullet because Aaron Gordon was so wide open, but I would also say that Fournier wasn't being guarded either, not to the extent. I mean, he is their three point threat. He is the best three point threat on the court because Terrence Ross had fouled out. Uh, so I would say that well, Fournier was the guy you need to you need to guard. See, now I love this because this is an interesting coverage question. So how do you cover that first screen? Do you want do you want Nas to come up and hedge the screen and cut off that action? Because what you're normal, what what they normally do is they would drop back and they would have a Kogi yeah, go think, over the top yeah, of the screen yeah, and rear view yeah. contest. That's what they did. Right. You know, that's what they did there. That's gonna leave that leaves Fournier open. That's the whole problem with the drop scheme, right? Right. So so you need to that's a that's an argument to to call a timeout to change what your defense is and to say we're we're switching five we're playing to the level we're doing whatever but they just ran what they always do which is drop the big have a kogi fight over the top rear view contest well that's going to get a good screen from vucevic and a good guard who's able to rub off the shoulder there is going to get a clean look on that nine times out of ten given 
the game at that particular time, a three wins it, a two ties it, play the three. Don't overplay the three. Don't play the two. Mm-hmm. Instead, you right. had two guys, as you said, in the paint playing the, the sure two. And obviously, Vucevic is the leading scorer on the team and, and you know, does burn him. But, but so then the, that's the 3D chess. I know. So right. now if you're Saunders and if you call the timeout, you go, well, we know that Vucevic is going to set a screen for somebody here. Right, right. So let's have Vanderbilt guard Vucevic so he can switch the screen, like which was happening in the Atlanta game. And Ed, Ed, that, that, you, that you've like negated that. But now you have the risk of, well, what if they don't run a, a pick and roll, you know? Right. Instead, they didn't do anything, you know? And they just did and, their normal and the, solid is enough. The 30th ranked offense blew it anyway. You know, Orlando yeah, totally blew yeah. the play. <laughs> yeah, so they, totally. need, they needed to just basically chuck up a prayer well, they, instead to have and, that go in. And the funniest part is Jared Vanderbilt gets the rebound because he's out of position. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, that, uh, that it's the timeout and it all falls apart. Uh, and then the Atlanta game was like that too, though. I mean, there's just carnage all over the floor. You know, different guys are going different places and, you know. Um, They're inexperienced, man. I mean, They're just inexperienced. Collins and Capella looked like they were in competition with each other as to who was going to roll on the rim. I mean, they were they were almost elbowing each other out of the way. That was some of the weirdest offense I've ever seen. <laughs> it wasn't even pick and roll anymore. It was like they were just like Trey or DeAndre Hunter. Dive. Just it was double dive. It was just and it, they would just kind of churn around the fifteen foot line until one of Capella or or Collins right. had a situation where they could catch a lob because. Because the Wolves have Malik Beasley on Clint Capella, it's just, right, right. it's just insane. It's it's built in, what is that word? Built in occupescence or where where something? It's, they always talk about it with like obsolescence, built right. in obsolescence. Right. Where like your your phone is is built in to die, so you have to buy in three years, right? right? right you know right. that sort of thing. That's that's the Timberwolves front court. Right. It's built in obsolescence and. Orlando's, I, I tweeted this out last night during the uh, Magic game. This is why, let's just step back for a second and say, this is why this last week has been so damaging. It isn't, you can't say it's because Cat is out. You can't say this or this or this. Yes, Cat would have been absolutely crucial to any pick and roll action, and he is vital <laughs> for the defense. But at the end of the day, you still can't lose to a team Orlando was coming down in the second and third quarters. And the first guy who dribbled the ball over the half court line was the guy who shot most of the time. It didn't even, you know, ball movement, you know, I mean, one pass was certainly uh, an aberration, you know, I mean, God forbid two passes happened. And it reminded me of when I would, you know, there was a while when I wanted to relive my, uh, you know, childhood days of watching the Celtics. So I, you know, I queued up some '60s and '70s Boston Celtic games. If you ever seen '60s and '70s basketball, the guys just come down the court and chuck it up. I mean, that's what they do. That was that's why, you know, uh, guys average like 27 rebounds a year. You know, I mean, yeah. per game. A game. Because yeah. you know everybody was just chucking, and so. That's what Orlando was doing for the middle portion of the game. That's what they were doing when they weren't turning it over in the second quarter. They were just chucking the ball, you know? The second quarter was so weird. Like, 
I remember as like when I was a kid, you know, right. Like back, back in the day, like I was the, you know, like the, the, the tall white kid who, you know, right. Played behind the guys who were actually going to go D one. And there'd be every so often where it's like, whether, whether it's in practice or like when the, the bench is in and, and, you know, like the, the, the guys, the scrappy guys just play harder <laughs> And and you go on this little run and and you're you're you beat the the good right. guys or your your second unit gives you this run and you're just like you're just feeling yourself and then the reality of the situation is you're reminded the next day that you actually suck compared to everyone else and and that was exactly what I thought about in the second quarter when Jaden McDaniels and Anthony Edwards and Ed Davis and Jordan McLaughlin were going on a run. I was like, right. that's fun. I love that. This is great. But they're going to lose tomorrow. Yeah. And, that's and, just and not going to happen. Culver was again. also a part of that. See, so Culver, too. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a, exactly. And that's the thing. Speaking of not D1 players. All of these guys are so confidence-driven that, I mean, this again. Um, I'm ready to set Culver out to sale again. I'm I know. back well, totally you on that right show. To. I, 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 some stats there. In January, um, Culver. Well, actually, January is better than over for the season. For 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 January, he's hitting fifty point nine percent of his shots. But that's because all he ever shoots is dribble <laughs> penetration. Your tweet where you said his range is six <laughs> inches. That's it. Jace, I was sitting next to the game, and Jace is like, "Oh my god, look at look! Oh, this is great." He's eighteen point two percent from three-point range in January, 43.8% from the line in January. His numbers, his splits overall. He's great. His splits He's overall great. this season. Hey. What? I just pulled up his synergy. He got his first point in a pick and roll last night. All right. He's now he's now averaging .111 points per possession in pick and rolls this year. Still one percentile? Zero. Still zero. Okay. Still the lowest yeah, in the yeah, entire yeah. NBA. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. His splits are 44-8, and 52-2. It's just so. unbelievable. that he's. It's essentially I, – I, I, I talked about this on one of the recent pods. I was like, that's a five. That's a center. A bad that's center. A center. That's a bad it's center. It's a bad center who you, like, play off the bench and all they can do it's is Davis without, catch lots. It's Ed Davis without a catch and shoot. It, sure, and without a lot of other things, too. Right. It's It's – it's literally the guy who it's like taco fall. Right. Right. Or yeah. I mean, it's just guys who, who can't do anything other than be big. That's pretty much how Jared Van Jared Culver plays basketball right now. That and, pick has aged terribly. And I think you have to see whether there's any confidence, any way to engender confidence in him. But again, this is a coaching challenge. I mean, obviously I would say that Ryan is third on the list of blame here. I mean, because you did, you know, know, as Rosas, it was your statement. It was your first statement as a drafter. Um, And, you know, according to a lot of the reports, they wanted Garland to actually just (laughs) compound. I mean, Garland is no great chance either. He's the only only other bad option. (laughs) Meanwhile, Brandon Clark is sitting there at 14 or 15. I mean, oh. Memphis, wherever they got him. Uh, 
how about DeAndre? I mean, I know DeAndre Hunter went yeah. four, but like that whole lottery now, right. they all look that DeAndre Hunter looks like a vet. Obviously, you got Tyler Hero after him. I don't know how much Hawks you've watched. Cam Reddish, I, his stats aren't popping, but that guy's going to be good. Like you go down, Brandon Clark was 21. Darius Baisley on the Thunder was 23. Keldon Johnson was 29. Right. Um, right. Cody Martin, who is a functional player, right. was 36. Talon Horton Tucker was 46th for the Lakers. I mean, I know there's literally like 20 wings in the draft who are just clearly better at basketball than Jared Culver right now. And I would probably bet will be. And uh, that's just, that's just the definition of a bust. You are certainly winning that argument right now to the extent I want to make it an argument. I was down on Culver. I was right next to you last season. I saw enough in preseason and in the first couple of games of the year where I think he's a careener. I mean, he guy careens from being really, really good to really, really bad. Um, and by really, really good, I'm not saying, you know, even then necessarily worth the sixth pick in the draft. But I do think he's somebody that can um, – if he is, if your team is on a roll, he's going to be really, really good in that system. He is not somebody that handles adversity well, which obviously is not a great trait to have as a basketball player. But I mean, that do, okay. He can be used. It, I think he can be used in a rotation. Uh, that guy, that guy, <laughs> even recognized, is not playing a minute for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you talk about a team, a right. team. I'm know. talking about like a team who wants to, right. to fight you. Right, right. Jerk Culver has never been in a fight. Uh-huh. And, and for me, I'm just saying like if I'm looking at picking guys to play on my NBA basketball team, uh-huh. and this is a subjective personal, right, you right, know, what, right. how I would want to do it. I don't want to be remotely invested in a guy who I have no confidence in in a, in a fight, let alone – a jump shot shooting contest or free throw contest. So you don't play D Lo either. <laughs> Maybe not. not. <laughs> no, no he... D-Lo is not a fighter. D-Lo... More than Jarrett Culver. He's more than Jarrett Culver. D-Lo will spread the mayonnaise on you, but he will not fight you. The mayonnaise. D'Lo will will season the mix for his team and make everything delicious. I think there is a situation. No, no, no. I disagree. Not going to get down and dirty. No, I think there is a a situation where D'Andre Russell will certainly fight you, and I think there are zero situations where Jared Culver will. See, that's where we disagree. I actually think that while I like some of the strides he's made on defense this year. Certainly in the last four, five or six games. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, I do not want D'Angelo Russell being one of my two go to guys. I just don't want it. And, and make him the third. And if he, exactly. But if he's not one of your first two go to guys right. and he's getting, and he's next to Cat, you know, you know. He already is redundant with a lot of what Cat has. I mean, here, again, mm-hmm. you know, this is my um, – the last two podcasts, I think, have been uh, characteristic of my growing disenchantment with Rosas because um, 
And I already suspect that I was never necessarily a D-Lo guy, although I do like to give the guy credit. There are certain things he can do that are really good, but he's not a guy that you basically clear city center ground floor for and call in the fans and basically take a victory strut, which is what Rosas did that day. I mean, I knew in May we didn't have the team. Well, now, you know, now that I've gotten D'Angelo Russell next to Carl Anthony Towns, happy days are here again, strike up the band. 60 grand, sixty million a year for Cat and D'Lo, and you think you're going to make the playoffs in the West. I mean. I do. I do. I mean, I know you're not, this isn't, you're not fighting, you're arguing with Gerson Rosas here. But, yeah, I don't have a problem with paying $60 million to both of them because Cat is – is worth more than the 30 he's getting. And, and I don't, I don't think, Perhaps. I think what you're saying no, for sure. Cat's worth more than 30 million. D'Lo you're what you, the way you're framing that is implying that D'Lo is like a $12 million player, which is maybe what you think. Yeah. I'd say somewhere, but he might be 18. Okay. Well, look, look at how much money somebody like Lonzo ball is going to get this summer. Look how much money Malik Beasley just got this summer. Look how much money. I mean, it's once you get past this mid-level level, Guys are going to get more, and DeAndre also is well beyond a mid-level, you know, player. And maybe don't call it. I don't know. Maybe it's. I think the whole thing was that he wasn't all the way a max player, but he was. It was fine to pay him close to it. Call it twenty-five. Cat is. Let's say you're looking at one A players. Okay. Mm-hmm. the bellwether of your team. This is your guy. Cat is probably 12 to 20, optimistically. Okay? In the NBA? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, this is a different conversation than how much money he's worth. But Hang on sure. for a minute, though. Okay, so okay. 12 to 20, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means for your number one guy, there's – you're already playoff fringe, just going by your number one guy. There's 12 guys. Bradley, Bradley Beal isn't that. You're 12 guys better than that. Okay. Yeah. And, and is Bradley Luke, Beal one of them? Is Bradley uh, Beal better than Cat? Because he's not playoff fringe. I don't think so. On his own? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, 12 to 20. I'm just saying 12 to 20. Okay. So okay. you have to make that up with your number two or your number three. Mm-hmm. And if you're spending number sure. two money on okay. a guy who is not even, in my opinion, top 25 as your second best player. Sure. That th- This is the difference of what we're saying is, is that there's a problem with getting the third guy in that mix. And it's going to be for 75 or 80 million total. It's going to be hard to get three guys in there for 80 million that doesn't make it it doesn't make it true that D'Lo and cat are not worth 60 combined because they just are if even if D, what do you say D'Lo 18 okay this is why cat's worth 42 is because look at what james harden just got traded for mm-hmm. like even he's 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 worth more than the 30 million he's deriving in production on the floor because you could trade him for 
three first round. Drew Holiday just got traded for three first round picks and swaps and all. I mean, you can if you put Cat on the market, you're gonna get all right. I don't close to what James Harden. Uh, this got. is gonna. This is taking a bad turn for me because I don't want to be ripping Cat right now. But what I will say is, Cat is not James Harden. I mean, I agree. I mean, I agree with that. But he is a trade value. Those are see. These are these are different things. Cat is in season six, and has four playoff games on his register. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. I know. All right. So. And and Cat is not in the discussion right now among the top three centers in the NBA. Agreed with every part of okay. this organi- okay. uh, part of the argument. Okay, I'm just saying your roster isn't effed because you have sixty million dollars to Cat and D'Lo. You need to make that next twenty or thirty million special. Right. That and 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 it hurts you. It hurts that you're overpaying your second player, quote unquote, overpaying him. But it doesn't make it impossible. And no, it goes back that. to the thing we've always talked about, where it's to get that third guy, they're going to have to trade Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards. Okay, but what, what? There you go. What I am saying is, is that you're not set at one and two with Cat and D'Lo. That's no, because a, maybe that's hopefully, a, maybe that's another yes. way to phrase it. I agree with that because D'Lo needs to move to three. At least. At least. Unless he miraculously. Well, no, he's fine at three. <laughs> I think he's fine at three. I don't think we got to put him down to – I don't think he's a sixth man yet. All right. We're at 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and again, what's crazy about all this is uh, I – and this, you know, uh, familiarity, you, you grow to understand and appreciate guys. D-Lo, I just don't get why you're so down on dealer right now. He's been awesome in the last four games. Well, like, what did you need? What did you need to see? Uh, More, be- the better execution in the fourth quarter? Like, I agree with that, but I don't think it totally negates. No, I don't either, but I think it, it does. Neither... It isn't the ingredient needed for this team right now. He's not the this one. This team is not cooking anything right now. He's not the one B ingredient that will make this yeah. team. I mean, it's actually, quite frankly, one of the reasons I had them at 13th to start the season. I mean, even if everybody was healthy. And maybe mm-hmm. I could boost that up to like 11th. But there's no way, even if Cat's cooking, mm-hmm. and even if G- D'Lo's cooking, that I have this team among the top 10 teams in the West as a play-in team because that top level isn't top level enough. I mean, look at the 10 teams I'm talking about instead, you know? I mean, it isn't necessarily that they don't fill in 3 through 15 well enough. They also don't have it at 1 and 2, and that's important especially in the NBA, as you're thinking about stuff. Who can magnetize? Is somebody going to go, all right, well, D'Angelo Russell's in Minnesota. I think I'm going to go there. I mean, I work well with Uh, D'Lo. Well, I mean, I think you're ignoring some of the, like, uh, social or cultural parts of it. I know. I always do. That I mean, I think D'Angelo Russell could attract somebody to come here. The problem is that the Wolves don't have any free agent money forever. Right. It's it would need to be through a trade, so you need to be getting a player to go. James Harden forcing themselves to Brooklyn 
to Minnesota style via right. trade, which you still need to make a trade for. You still have to give up a lot. To, well, to I get. mean, so during the off season, I wanted to trade D'Lo and the number one overall pick and some other things for Ben Simmons. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm with that. Okay, but what I'm saying is, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing. When ben people Simmons are going, is, oh, you, yeah. could, you know. Cat and D'Lo are tight. You can't trade Cat's best friend, and they haven't even, well, yeah, yeah, I get you can't. A chance you to, can't. Haven't even gotten a chance to work together yet. If no, I don't think Kat you could do that trick. Cat and Ben Simmons are the perfect combination. They, I agree. I love Ben Simmons. Each other up so well. They make the other one so much better. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can't think of a better partner for Cat among the top. 25 players who if you're talking age timeline and everything else Giannis but other than Giannis yeah, and Simmons. well except that Giannis would get in his way a little bit because you know Giannis well we'll we'll, we'll sacrifice okay, some of that right. for it being Giannis okay. but okay. but I'm I'm saying this to prove your point is right. I off the top of my head I mean Anthony Davis right I don't know yeah. it, it might I, like as far as compliments okay. and go. An, yeah. This is another one that I got laughed out of. And I might even be wrong about this, but I would have traded um, the $17 million of James Johnson, the number one overall pick, and uh, Culver for J- Jeremy Grant. Yeah, that's not a good one. Well, Dude, I think Jer- they're a better no. team right now. So what? That's not. But that okay. Is that what the the goal of the trade is? Is to to become an A seed? You're completely punting on. No. I think Jeremy Grant is a better number three than anything they have. And sure, that and in a power tr- forward position, he defends. He shoots the three. It, no, no, he no, he doesn't. We need to. That, you can't give up the first overall pick to pay Jeremy Grant twenty million dollars. I wouldn't even pay Jeremy Grant twenty million dollars if they had it in cap space. Well, they would have in cap space once you get rid of uh, Johnson and Culver. You don't like Culver yeah. anyway, you just got through saying. Johnson that's true. got that, your Rubio. That's the only good, so, the only mean, good part of your it, suggestion. Call it Culver Rubio in the number one overall pick. Yeah, I don't think you give up the number one overall pick to to pay okay. well, Jeremy Grant $20 million a year. Over and, and I, obviously, that's the bigger reach. But my point is, what you're confident of what you have right now, I think you're overconfident with what you have. It's not enough. This team doesn't have I, enough. Agreed. Agreed. And it was especially injurious that, and look, I actually, I'm the guy who said that Edwards will come on later on in the season. I still think that's true, although it's a little mm-hmm. more dubious now because his defense is wayward. Um, uh, and I don't think um, – I think he is somebody who is – I think he should cut his threes in half. And I think that he should have a little bit more of a mid-range game because, it, you know, it's like Culver last year. Hit the shots you could hit in college first or whatever, you know. Some people listen. God, he didn't hit shots in college. <laughs> well, his shot selection was bad. I mean, again, it didn't go in very often either. All right, I know you just got there saying it was an hour and a half, about ten minutes ago. So we'll wrap it up. <laughs> all, um, all I'm saying is, and 
was no malice at all to Odilo, who I think is a, first of all, I really like uh, the interactions with him. You know, he's a great human being. And, and he's somebody who has got some aspects to his game there. And I even defend the way he kind of lulls people into thinking he's not playing defense when he's playing the angles and using his limbs to get out there. But there are also times his corner three closeouts. I mean, any scout, if I were scouting the Wolves, I would say when D'Lo has responsibility for rotation over to the weak side corner or even a strong side corner. I literally got a text. I literally got a text today from a scout of a D'Andre Russell defensive play that about that same that. yeah exactly well it wasn't it wasn't a weak side thing but it was of his defense well and i will tell you that i would punish the corner three making delo rotate to that in a in a quick fashion a guy with a quick twig trigger on the uh on the three make sure that he runs off a couple of screens and that the rotation has to be delo running out to close out on the corner three i that thing will work Remember when Spolster came in here about two and a half years ago and just basically yeah, <laughs> just just undressed Tibbs, you know, with with right yeah. side corner threes, he just picked on somebody. I think it was Taj. Just time pick on D'Lo mm -hmm. on corner threes. He can't close out on the corner threes. Right. I mean, that's tough. I yeah. I just think this is this is just a couple different you know D'Lo conversations and. Are we getting into off-season mode and we're trying to like rank all the best players in the league and how much they're worth and everything? Like, yeah, that's a that's a big picture conversation, and you know, let's have it when we get there. I just think in the context of what's going on right now, I think he's been pretty great the last four games. Whatever whatever he finished with last night, and then I have the three previous games. He had thirty-one against Atlanta, six of thirteen from three. Memphis the game before, twenty-five points, eight assists, two of eight from three game before san antonio 27 and 5 4 of 7 from 3 okay like, it's not all on him but he is the leader on the court for the minnesota timberwolves right now and he was minus 20 in the second half minus sir. 20 he has lapses big time and that was the second half was his lapse yesterday i, I don't know like what do you want like what do you want me to say well, you he just, just, say he just sucks forever great. I, would I say think that I think those can both be true. I think those I think he could have had been pretty great in all four of the games and also got rocked in plus minus last night in the second half. Why can't those things both be true? Because if you are the best guy on your roster and you were actually responsible. Okay, if we're holding him to that bar, if he uh, is he a top 30 player? Did he play like? Has he played like a top thirty player in this league, the past four games? No, I agree with you there. That's not the bar I'm holding for him right now to be pretty great. Okay, and and it sounds like you are. I think that's what the difference. Well, is. I think that what I'm saying is is that if you're going to say somebody has been pretty great, there needs to be a victory in there somewhere. If you're the guy who's running, they won the San Antonio game. That wasn't on the last four games. Yeah, it was. Oh, was it? Right. Okay. Yeah, well, the second San Antonio game. Yeah, the second. Well, that would have been. Yeah. Okay. That's a win. All right, then there you go. You got one. <laughs> I stand corrected. Uh, I mean, look, I, 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 I again. I just don't think. How can we look at the the Andrew Russell year right now and be like, oh yeah, this has been a disaster? Like what he's. Oh uh, no 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 no! Let's not say disaster. That's not what I'm saying. 
No, okay, fair, fair. I am saying that I'm saying that Delo's impact is better on paper than it is on the court and better on the court than it is in the one loss column. I think that's all fair. Okay. I think that's all fair. I've just I've been enjoying it these last four games and think it's been contributing to it's been I think it's been pretty I, I don't know. Pretty great. <laughs> More power to you then. I actually think that Delo has not been bad at all the last four games. And the idea that uh, he's what's he averaging about twenty five a game and getting maybe seven dimes, um, yeah. those are really good Shooting numbers. Well. Those are really good numbers. And he's over forty percent for the year, probably from three. You know, on like eight attempts a game. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, he's, and I think he's playing good defense. I mean, not he's not playing good defense. He's playing better defense than he has previously. Defense. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. We split it. All right. <laughs> Britt Robson. <laughs> at Britt Robson on Twitter. I'm exhausted. This is technically my third podcast of the day. That I've well, that's all right. Done. And I probably poked you once too often, but that's all right. No, it's you good didn't. for no, you. No, that's what that's it is. It, it, it absolutely is. Um, I don't know, man. This weekend's gonna. This weekend will be. I don't know. I just going back to the beginning. I don't know how many more bullets I can take if if these if these games are really bad and it's you know back to back you know twenty point losses. That's well. It's, it's Atlanta, tough. and then there is another Pelicans. Yeah, Pelicans. Oh man, wrong mm-hmm. time to play the Pelicans. I mean, if cats you know, out against wait, you don't think you don't think Jaden McDaniels could check Zion at the four? <laughs> Actually, this this gets back to my I'm on the bandwagon for Ed Davis and Nas against the Pelicans. Sure, if as long as Nas is playing, yeah, I don't know. Try Nas at the four. Get weird, like just don't ever play Wancho again. <laughs> not on that. Not against that team. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right, man. Uh, we're we're done. We're we're out of here. Yeah. Uh, thank you for doing it. Everybody can follow Britt uh, on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA until after the Atlanta game. Um, yeah, it's all for me for now. Talk to you then. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop, yeah.